today. I am here to give you the assurance that I have not forgotten you. If we want to see the new evangelization become more than just jargon, if we want to see it grow legs and gain traction and change the world, we have got to take seriously our responsibilities as husbands and fathers and especially as sons of God. I want to propose to you then that something that our world is desperately in need of in the midst of this crisis is Catholic Christian masculinity. If you want to be a good father, then bring your children to confession with you. I can't get there unless I become a man of ascesis, a man of asceticism, a man of training. A man not doing penance, a man not disciplined, he's not a man. You guys have upped your game. You know what, guys, I gotta say, I, I love this the concept of man show. Warning, the Catholic man show is about to begin. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam Minahan here sitting in studio with David Naya, the Don David. See. Si. And ah. And our good friend, coming back for round two, we had had him on about a year ago to date, almost probably exactly. Very close. Very, yeah. very close. Brandon, it's great to have you back on the Catholic Man Show. Thanks for hanging out with us again this evening. It is great to be here. Thanks and we also have me. Eli. in, in uh, Mr. Eli Stone, the he, Diocese of Tulsa in Eastern Oklahoma. He works for the Alquin Institute. There you go. He is here with us as well. So, Brandon, uh, for those who may not know who you are or may have not caught our last episode, which I will link in our show notes, but uh, a little bit of background on who you are and who your family and where you're from and all that kind of fun stuff. I am, my name is Brandon Sheard. I think we covered that. Mm -hmm. I am from Washington State. I live on an island with my family. I have seven children and my wife, Lauren, and we have a business. It's called Farmstead Meatsmith. And we, we practice what... I like to think of as peasant Catholic agrarian domestic culture. <laughs> I'm a professional peasant. Something like that. <laughs> uh, basically, I, I'm a butcher, so I harvest animals for a living. Okay. And uh, I really started doing this in order to feed my family the best way I knew how. Mm -hmm. Literally. Mm -hmm. Literally feed them. Truly, yes. Because yeah. uh, come to find out, when you go back a few steps on the processing line to the beginnings, Things are effortlessly delicious and more Oops, nutritious. Uh, his, his mic is out. Oh. Keep going. You're good. Okay. Go I, can, ahead, I can hear it. Ooh. It's, it's on. Look, it's been recorded. Okay. Yeah. No, turn, it, turn it down. That's too loud. I didn't really move it. I can hear it in my head, Wuffins. Yeah. That's what my Everything's two year old fine. calls these. Yeah. So keep, yeah, just keep going. Yeah. So. Farmstead Meatsmith is uh, is our business that my wife and I run, and uh, we're kind of find ourselves trying to bring um, restoring husbandry to prosperity. Prosperity is kind of this thing where 
we think we get to have great things without doing any good work, mm-hmm. and which is contrary to virtue. Right. And and it's not doesn't taste as good. It's not the good life. And so we started raising pigs and growing, having a garden, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of found that that is that is a blessed way to be insofar as you can do some of that. Um, and that was kind of actually, we, we kind of started that journey to the land, to growing things, was actually simultaneous with our conversion to the Catholic Church. They were... Coincidental? One Related move. or... You know, I think they were related. Yeah. I'm going to get that whole story hopefully later. Mm-hmm. But um, as I look back upon it, I realized that we were being drawn to uh, the goodness of God through the abundance of his creation. Sweet. Through his earth. So when you say you harvest animals, mm-hmm. you, what you do is kind of unique, I think. You go, you're like mobile. Yes. Yes, I have a truck. I have a, mm-hmm. bo- a truck that is has a box on it with a crane. And by harvest, we definitely mean kill. Right. And so um, I, I can harvest animals on their home turf. I can go to small farms throughout my region, kill the animal there, rather than... Uh, and thereby spare them the stress of transportation, mm-hmm. which is highly difficult, especially the for animal. small farms. You mean the animal? Yeah, the right. The, the animal. animal. Yeah, loading them into trailers, and they don't like it. Right. And uh, new places and faces and smells, mm-hmm. and I can just do it there, and then bring it back to my shop uh, after the animal is skinned or de- depilated, dehaired in the case of a pig. Mm-hmm. And then I practice traditional butchery, whereby. Literally, uh, the yield of the, f- the body of that animal is 100%, which is not a thing that happens anymore at all. Right. Yeah. It's usually of the hanging weight, which we regard as the edible part of the animal, mm-hmm. basically the bones and the muscle tissue. That's what meat means most of the time. Um, th- the yield from that is usually 50%, depending on the animal. Mm-hmm. So half of the carcass is just not... It, it a, doesn't make it to the kitchen. At a modern, yeah, a modern place, it's about fifty percent. That's right. Okay. Well, yeah, and that's just convention. That's just how it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look back to an age when people were less wasteful with their livestock, by necessity, uh, they harvested a hundred percent. And come to find out, when you uh, go full speed ahead on that kind of thrifty saving everything, using everything. That kind of necessity gives birth to the most extravagantly delicious things we consume as human beings. Like, yeah. that's what prosciutto is, you know. Mm-hmm. That's what right. cured meat is. Yeah. I, rem- I remember last episode you were on with us, you, you, you mentioned the burden of abundance. Yeah. And when you said that, I was like, ooh, that's not something that I've yeah. really thought of. I mean, that's not something that I have thought about very much of because, in, in, you know, when you're in the city, you just go... Buy what only what you need, not necessarily what right. what. Yeah, uh, or developing a taste for something means yeah. you're gonna learn to like it. You you might like bacon, but yeah. do you like bacon <laughs> three times a day for <laughs> all right. winter? You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you find that there's actually a virtue of eating, like it. You know, it doesn't just happen uh-huh. by accident. If you just go ahead and follow your appetite for sweet and savory. You know, and and don't think about it too much. Which I I tell you, I like to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So we all do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every one of us does. I like dark chocolate on command. Yeah. There you go. But the thing about that is that you are missing out. You turn into a weak, 
a weak man. You do. It makes yeah. you effeminate, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Thank yeah. you. Thank That's you. me. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right. I'm going to go eat my feelings after this episode is over. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like acquiring any tastes. Like, you didn't like whiskey. Sure, right. When you or, were... Or coffee. Whenever you yeah. were. Yeah. I remember, I remember when you said you didn't like coffee in the... Did you liked coffee the first time you tried it? Yes. Oh. In fact, wow. I was that's uh, unique. No, I, think I was most eight, eight years old, and my dad wouldn't let me drink coffee because he thought that the caffeine would stunt my growth. Right. And I think that has been dispelled. It's been disproven. Yeah. I, I don't but, think that there are things that stunt your growth. I don't think. I don't know. Death definitely stunts your growth. It does. Death will stunt your growth. Yes. Yeah. Malnutrition. Uh, malnutrition will, will stunt your right. growth. Right. Yeah, but those are. Not enough bacon. Negative things, you know. Even death is really the lack of something. It's but not, I, it's but not, we compromised, and I was able to have cappuccino. Okay. Okay. So just mostly milk. Well, Which cappuccino. Yeah. Like I used to have kids' coffee when I was a but kid. I wanted the coffee. Yeah, but I liked. You know, you put milk and sugar into coffee. It tastes like chocolate milk. Delicious. Yeah. But black coffee? No, I thought it was gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started off like a lot of people, loading it up. We should, we should, uh, but yeah, so let's try this. What we're drinking tonight, I've already tried it to be honest. Yes, we're drinking Heaven's Door. Um, knocking on it, even. Yeah, so this is a double barrel, it says double barrel whiskey. Um, it's a, it's an American whiskey. I don't know if it's a bourbon, technically. Um, I was a little skeptical about it when I, when I got it. It was recommended to me by the guy at the liquor store. Um, I get skeptical about whiskeys that have celebrity. You know, like endorsements, right? So this is um, Bob Dylan's whiskey. Mm. That's why it's called Heaven's Door. Right. Um, I've had the song stuck in my head all day now. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, I thought it was pretty good. Um, It It almost tastes at the the back end, almost as like it has a rye taste to it. I mean, it has this Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. dark or this like cracked pepper, um, even white peppercorn at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's a little toasty. It's kind of nice. It's not a. It's yeah, not overly sweet. It is toasty. Yeah. Does it have anything? Uh, does it have tasting notes on there? That's what I was. That's what I was looking Official for. Official tasting notes. Um, I mean, I, I, you yeah. get you get honey. You, you get the oak at the, on the nose, uh, which is a very traditional kind of bourbon style. Mm-hmm. So it says it's comprised of three different whiskeys. The double barrel Whoa. finishing process utilizes hand toasted new American oak barrels. For a secondary aging worthy of another year's weight, uh, it's got a higher proof, so with a perfect balance. It says yeah. perfect balance. It is high. Is it? Um, let's see it what does, it says. It's some, it's fifty something probably. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a hundred proof. Yeah. Fifty. Okay. It's fifty percent. Yeah, but it ha- it's a nice. It's not too aggressive until the very. The, the aggression happens at the end. Yeah. And which is nice. Yeah, and it's fifty bucks. Yeah. It's hey, not bad. You know, so that's. I th- I like that. Yeah. So it's 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 affordable, you know. It is. Not not everything is affordable. No. What if you had a, a burden of abundance of whiskey? Ooh. Then moderation has to be absolutely really essential. Pl- yeah, absolutely essential. <laughs> is Bob Dylan still alive? Yeah. Okay. It's gonna say because there's a quote on here from him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> he's still alive, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Fun fact: When I was dating Haley, I took her to. A Bob Dylan concert. Really? Here in Tulsa. Yeah. So, uh, we're here with Brendan Sheard, Farmstead Meatsmith. Why'd you, you looked at me like I was wrong. No. Oh. Okay, no. we'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan and Mr. Brandon Sheard. Are you a doctor? Are you a doctor? You're not a doctor. No, not even close. Not even close. No. Mr. Brandon Sheard, then. Yeah. Um, we are talking about Something. eating eating animals mm-hmm. and killing them, which I don't think I think most people in America have never killed an animal. Mm-hmm. Not not being aware of it, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. I think a lot of people are, as Ned Flanders would say, murdiddly erdlers. They have, hmm. they've killed things. <laughs> and they're only able to indulge in the fantasy of their harmlessness by being ignorant of the fact that they have. Ah. So when I turned 16, I got my driver's license. This is like on my way home from the DMV. And there's a cemetery right by my parents' house that has been there. It was it predated the road, and mm. so the road kind of swerves. It like curves around it. Yeah. And so I'm coming around this curve, and I see this little turtle in the road, and I tried to swerve to miss the turtle, but I just got my license. I didn't have a good feel of where the tires were, you know, and I swerved into the yes. turtle and just cr- and just killed it. Was that turtle moving too fast for you? <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I went, <laughs> I went like thump thump, and I went, no, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I did, I did, like it really, yeah. I felt so bad, mm-hmm. and I told that turtle, even though he's dead, turtle's gone. Yeah. But I said, I tried to save your life, bro, and I accidentally killed you. <laughs> I don't think that that probably <clears throat> wasn't the first thing I killed, but yeah, it was the first memory. I have of I, yeah. I remember of it's carrying very, an animal. It's interesting how those those memories are very vivid. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very. Uh, I remember the first time I had to put down a dog. Mm. That was not. That was not fun. Oh yeah. Um, but it's a very. Yeah. I mean, that was the first time I really killed an animal, like intentionally killed an animal. Yeah. And it's a. Uh, it is. It is something that it's etched into your into your memory. Yeah. I mean, you look at. It's almost like that was. Um, illustrated or built into the some of the old testament sacrificial system the the lamb that you would slaughter uh you would you know you knew that lamb and you were supposed to put your hand on it yeah when its life was taken when its throat was cut um yeah it's definitely an encounter with reality Mm -hmm. so i have this theory that the lamb god made sheep strictly as an analogy it's Mm -hmm. just other other animals you know, served other purposes. Sheep are just for an analogy because they're the perfect. I mean, that's why I think. I mean, God uses them all the yeah, time that way. Yeah. I mean, for Him, just the way they will sit there and just let you kill them. Yeah. And also, just their behaviors. You know, uh, when they're in the herd, if the shepherd is there, they basically don't care about anything. The wolf can be right there, and they just don't even care because the shepherd's there. Otherwise, they're ridiculously skittish, you know. Um, they do know the shepherd's voice. Right. It is amazing. They will follow a voice they recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and when it comes to harvesting sheep, to actually delivering the kill to them, it is, it's tricky, but you have to, you have to reduce their, their panic, their tendency to flight, which is what they want to do. Right. They want to flee. Because you generally mean predator, unless you're the, the shepherd that they recognize. And uh, you have to actually 
have a due regard for their nature as fleeing animals. And so part of the strategy to harvesting a sheep peacefully is to prevent flight. If you can keep them, keep their body in a small corral so that they cannot flee, they will not freak. So And they'll just let you kill them. Well, if you ha- you got to handle them properly the whole time. Uh-huh. No chasing. So if you can't control their body, then you can't control their mind. They have their their mind is mm. It's a reaction to their body more than it is like us uh, with an it with our intellect mm-hmm. more than it is a preconceived notion of oh no I perceive danger coming ergo I'm going to panic and take flight it's more like I have a flight distance and anything that gets close to me I'm going to flee from and mm-hmm. then when I find myself fleeing then I will be panicking <laughs> the the physical <laughs> comes first right yeah they have that material soul you know, yeah. Okay. So one us. of the things that I love about the, uh, among many things in the diocese of Tulsa in Eastern Oklahoma is we have what's known as the Alquin Institute. If you just Google the Alquin Institute, uh, their website will pop up, uh, and they are have hosted or are the hosts for this weekend. For brought you in. Yes. Um, why, why is it important for, for the Alquin Institute to bring you in to teach guys how to harvest a lamb like why why is that a like i understand bringing in a catholic theologian to mm-hmm. talk about what you know a, a catholic topic why why is this important yeah i think that the ultimate answer is because of the immortality of the soul but we could build up to that okay but okay. i think that's that's the theory i'm working you, on is this are you quentin tarantinoing the answer to this i mean is it like oh he does that huh? it's not going to have as good dialogue okay but, that's all right yeah uh but what it's our fault, not. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to we're going to kill two lambs tomorrow. Okay. With a bunch of people, mm-hmm. and uh, we're also going to consume lots of lamb meat tomorrow. Um, to round out the whole, the purpose, the end of the harvest itself, which is to feed people, and um, it's going to be it's going to be great. Uh, a lot of it is just so that. People can learn how to uh, harvest their own food rather than being dependent upon a system that provides it for them in exchange for money. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's actually also Martinmas. Yes, I was so, going to ask you if it was. Yeah, uh, we're we're coming up on it. I think the feast of Saint Martin is actually the eleventh of November. Yes, okay. of this month. But historically, so uh, back before refrigeration, when the seasons governed, when people harvested their food and ate things, uh, the liturgical calendar was was how we marked the harvesting of things. Right. So, um, St. Andrew's Day, November 30th, in lots of places in Europe, is start killing the pigs. Because in the Northern Hemisphere, it's a refrigerator outside. Right. So, you don't need a walk-in cooler. Mm-hmm. It's perfect timing. And uh, Would they still have to... Uh salt the the pork they would but it's not entirely necessary if it's a refrigerator outside i mean eventually everything will even spoil in the refrigerator Uh but um yeah it just stays nice and cool this is a perfect time of year Mm -hmm. but they would always salt because they were looking to preserve things until the apocalypse or they eat them right and they're all gone whichever comes first whichever comes first that was the goal but uh yeah the feast of saint martin was also and and the octave was traditionally the time when you harvested the animals, particularly geese and pigs, um, and even cows. And so it was—it's even like a saying, you know, everyone has their Martinmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there it's are a like uh, little nursery rhymes 
I've heard about Martinmas and yeah, and slaughtering animals and it's the time. I can't remember any of them, but I know that they exist. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit. About, what are we going to be doing tomorrow? We're going to kill two sheep. Yeah. There, when we show up, there will be sheep. There will be sheep, and they will be alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we're going to we're going to harvest them uh, with just a knife. Okay. And I'll show everyone how to do that. And we're actually going to get them into a position where they are passive and really calm. Um, and then we're going to skin them. We have to remove their pelt. We're gonna, after they're dead. After they're dead. Yeah. That is correct. Okay. And there's a trick to skinning them in a clean and artful way. Okay. Um, you know, the whole process can be can be elevated to the degree of an art form uh, because it improves the yield. If you have your ends figured out, like a good yield, and not just in terms of quantity, like, oh, we've, we didn't waste any meat, but it's qualitative too. Things will actually taste mm-hmm. way better. Um, and so we're going to skin the lamb, and then we're going to remove the guts, and we're going to cook up the liver, the kidneys, the heart right away. For a little dish called slaughter day fry. Okay, so last year, which I think we did last, we mm-hmm. we we did. We cooked. We last year we slaughtered a pig and we cooked the liver mm-hmm. and the heart. And I will tell you, I did not like it. It was yeah. It was my first. It was my first tasting. Uh-huh. So it was, you know, it's different. Yeah, it's different. Tis. I'm gonna try it again. Texturally. I'm gonna that, try it again. That's good because you just lack the habit. Right. Of awful eating. I don't like it. This is a pet peeve of mine <laughs> when people won't eat stuff because they don't like it. Yeah. That bothers me. Yeah. Like, what do you, do you think it's going to hurt you? You know, it's not going to hurt you. Just eat the food, okay? It's on your plate. Put it in your mouth. Yeah, it's a little bit of that burden of abundance thing. Like, it it does taste good. You just don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. It yeah, is acquired. I can totally see that. And, and they do, you know, I can't remember the specific details, but they do studies on people. And you can acquire a taste. It takes about two weeks. Really? Yeah, you can pretty much like, like anything whatever. if you eat it for two weeks, and then no you'll kidding. be good. And then you've acquired a like a new appetite for a thing that you thought was gross. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I, I mean, cigars, they're they're I think on their face they're gross. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing there's nothing delicious or good about a cigar, but for mm-hmm. some reason I really like them. Yeah. You know? I just learned to do that. There but you go. In the beginning, you think. Why am I doing this? Like this is killing me probably, but yeah. it, it's not. Yeah, not, not right away. There's always a reward for developing a virtue, mm-hmm. right? It actually has like this inbuilt in this built-in gratification when you mix the discipline in. So one thing that really blew my mind about the pig that we slaughtered last year was how fundamental it was to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, there would almost be no culinary arts without the pig. Is the lamb similar in any way? I mean, does it have essential functionality? And we'll have yeah. to wait until the other side of this break to answer this question. Yeah, it's a good one. Because I was curious. That's what we chose to slaughter. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. You're listening to The Catholic Man Show with Adam Minahan and David Niles. We're here with Brandon Sheard. We're drinking Heaven's Door Bob Dylan whiskey. We'll be right back.
This segment of the Catholic Man Show is brought to you by the Catholic Woodworker. Go to thecatholicwoodworker.com for heirloom quality home, altars, crucifixes, and rosaries. It's also the only place where you can get the official rosary of the Catholic Man Show. Type in promo code TCMS for 10% off all purchases. TCMS for the Catholic Man Show. CatholicWoodworker.com. say that that is the tradition that we have tended to inherit in the United States coming from, you know, our Northern European and even Mediterranean uh, being populated by those areas and those traditions. Whereas you go further north, you get to lamb territory. So like, yeah, Hmm. like in Nordic, Nordic uh, cultures, sheep is more like the bedrock and fish, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so the, while we regard the pig as this incredibly flexible, absolutely essential, you know, part of the kitchen for even like Middle Eastern, you know, more, uh, people that were needed herding animals that weren't stationary in villages with a pig Mm -hmm. in the back, but were moving. Those are all sheep culinary traditions. Yeah. And obviously those are big. The Jewish people, they would have existed without pigs for that's right so sheep was huge especially earlier and then when they started going into northern europe um it was cold and so they still needed lots of fat Mm. but the pig was off limits right so they went goose and that's Mm. where we get a lot of our awesome goose culinary traditions the what the pig was for the catholic european the goose was for see i don't know the the jewish i just don't i do do not know the goose they are the pigs of the bird world they're super fat are they yes they they put on a ton of subcutaneous fat right under their skin and they fatten their livers which is I do part know of about how that, they migrate. Where they, like, they do that thing that the liberals hate, where they like force feed the, yeah. the ducks or Foie something. Foie gras. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear it's delicious. I would love to have it some. It is. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure on industrial scale, force feeding them is not so nice. But I think that's more a result of trying to do a thousand of them at a time. Yeah. Uh, but the, the backyard, you know, geese, the five geese that you have, if you raise them, you, you'll quickly see that actually it's, it's very possible to do it. Humanely, it's actually built in. It's how they prepare for migration to not have mm-hmm. to land to constantly snack on their way. I mean, most animals would love to just gorge themselves all the time. I mean, yeah, you know, yes, they to an extent. Mm-hmm. They also uh, they do not have the vice of gluttony. Sure. So it actually has to be overridden by human interference. Okay. So they will never, I guess, certain. Well, that even that's a result of human interference. Certain pigs are genetically disposed, disposed to being obese. So if you feed them just whatever they want to eat, whenever they want to eat it, they will become morbidly obese. But that's because we bred them to do that a while it ago. It looks like pigs always become morbidly obese, like from just feral hogs, an, un- an, unprof- an unprofessional eye like myself. You yeah, know, I look at pigs and I huh. say, I think you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, it's actually... I have to say, on the whole, uh, fat pigs are in the extreme minority. Really? Yeah. 
Once you get inside. Interesting. Yeah. They, uh, because we don't want to eat fat anymore, mm-hmm. particularly pork fat got a really bad name right. when they wanted to sell more vegetable oils. So they anathematized all pork fat. Right. Because that's what people were using as shortening for their pie crusts was pork lard. Delicious. Makes the best pie in the cosmos. Right. Um, but, uh, and so they were valued for their fat, but that is out of style. So it's actually the leaner pigs are much more common. Okay. So the lamb. The lamb. How is it that the lamb is, the, is essential to the, the kitchen in some areas? Yeah, I mean... The lamb can do many, many things. I guess it depends on which culture that you're looking at. But in sick chops. Yeah, I mean, you. A lot of people don't like lamb chops. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't like lamb. It's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, It's another acquired taste thing. What happens when you just follow your appetites and don't actually try to acquire a taste is that you settle for bland. You go bland. Yeah. Isn't that weird? You wouldn't think it, but you do. You go totally bland, such that. Lamb is harder for people to like, and then mutton is, like, inconceivable. Nobody wants mutton. It has <laughs> such a bad name, which is terrible because mutton is objectively more delicious than lamb. Okay, so tell, tell me, what is the difference between mutton and lamb? So a lamb is a sheep that's younger than a year. No kidding. Yeah, very young. A, and that's probably what we're going to have tomorrow. So an older lamb is more delicious than a younger lamb? Because isn't it, is. it usually the other way where the younger version of the animal is more delicious not necessarily it depends on what you mean by delicious like if it's more just more tender maybe that's it's what tender pe- people so are they so younger it, animals are tender it's a textural thing only as far as flavor they're actually bland by comparison interesting so like the best cows in the world are 11 years old the best beef i've ever eaten was an 11 year old jersey dairy cow no kidding by flavor you know the yield by any commercial metric was abysmal takes too long to raise them but the flavor it's a it's almost like another animal it's like eating caramelized butter it's so good which i guess is what caramel is have i ever had caramelized, caramelized butter, butter? that's what caramel is that was redundant yeah it was so delicious it was sweet and buttery and nutty but same thing with mutton it you get more fat one thing you get with age is more flavor and more fat on i agree carcass. with that so i have experienced that myself yeah mutton will do that for you okay Okay, and I think a lot of times people don't like lamb because they don't like mint, or mm. the, you know they don't like what is commonly served. Yeah, with with lamb, like Adam, you're not a mint big mint guy. I'm not a big mint guy. Yeah, but, I mean, but two weeks two weeks from now, you could be a mint guy. Yeah, if I ate mint chocolate chip ice cream, which is objectively bad, but I agree with that statement. Yeah. Do you? Yes. Uh, I can't do mint chocolate chip. No. Why? Why would you do that to chocolate chip? It's delicious. I, what I've been trying to say for like two and a half years that we've been on this show. But yeah. it's delicious. I mean, I'm not against regular chocolate chip. Okay, um, but here, here's but a mint question. Ch- I don't. I don't discriminate. You guys. If you, you guys like to discrimin- eat toothpaste, I understand. Yeah. But. All right. I'm, you guys can finish this episode without. That <laughs> is exactly what I said. Okay. So you know what? what? I do like to eat toothpaste. <laughs> Speaking of mint, though, bitter herbs. Like, not only is that common with lamb, that is that's historical. That's well, what they had to eat the Passover the lamb. I was going to say yeah. God made them do it. Yeah, so. bitter herbs, and you can't break any of the bones. Right. So you got to joint the lamb with artful butchery or cook the thing whole. Yeah, and did you know that when they would cook it, they would literally crucify the lambs? Cordero al asador. Yeah. yeah. So like when Jesus was walking around Jerusalem on the Passover, there were they they think like 
two million lambs yeah. were slaughtered in just like a couple days. Mm-hmm. And they're all walking around with all these crucified lambs cooking over the fire. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, very intentional. God is, he knows what he's doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, anyway, anyway, sidebar. That is the best way to cook a lamb. I mean, in terms of low kit, simple, that's what cowboys do. Like mm-hmm. when you're out and you're living on the range with the flock for an entire season, yeah. You eat lamb and you roast it on a, an iron cross over a fire. And all you need is salt. Does the I, iron, does that make a difference whether it's iron or... You could use wood as long as you don't set it on fire. Yeah, okay. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, steel. So does the... I don't think about sheep being particularly fat. Are they, are they fatty? It depends on the breed and again the age. So they uh-huh. will and what they eat. They can get extraordinarily fat. The longer they live, the more high-carb stuff they eat, they will become very fat indeed. I will say that the big benefit of a sheep is that you can make clothes where you cannot really make clothes with a pig. Yeah. I don't know that you can't make clothes out of a pig. You can make pretty good leather out of pigskin. I think it tastes better, though. So the highest and best use of pigskin is crispy pork rinds on your Boston shoulder, right. your Boston butt, I think. Mm-hmm. And gloves are they're one step down from that. They're less delicious. But you can make leather from pigskin i will tell you that last year i came home with some of the trotters i gave them to Juan. i didn't know what to do with uh, them. yeah so it was it was, yeah. it was beyond me you know i had to just know thyself mm-hmm. i looked at me i did a, a honest assessment and i said Juan, one you, you, you need these <laughs> so he, he he took them home yeah and i think that that actually you only needed to know three things one thing for that and that's how to braise okay there's really three recipes for all meat. I don't right. know if we talked about we this did. last time. Yeah. But that's, if you know how to braise, pan, fry, and roast, I argue that not only can you cook every piece of a four-legged beast, or two-legged for that matter, uh, but you are well on your way to being able to harvest them. Because the point is to, to be able to butcher them and harvest them for the braising, the pan, frying, and the roasting. Not for the deli case, not to look good in the butcher shop, not to fetch a higher price right. and get a better margin for the kitchen where does the instant pot fit into the braising roasting pan frying uh that is a modern version of braising is it but i've never actually used one so i'm actually kind of going off there but mm-hmm. is it does it have a lid is yeah, it it's a pressure low pressure. heat pressure cooker yeah actually they were doing that in the 14th century yeah yeah it's, it's not can you new. believe that it's not a new thing They're yeah just, now we have microchips that can regulate yeah it used to be very hard to do. You had to sit there and babysit it. Yeah. And hope the fire you didn't make up, a bomb up and down. Yeah. Hope, hope it doesn't blow up on yeah. you. That right. the blacksmith who made it knew what they were doing. Right. And, yeah. Jugged hair was a way they they would cook that in England with uh, jugged hair. Jugged hair. That does not sound good. Yeah. Hair as in relative of the rabbit. The rabbit. Yeah. Gotcha. Not what I initially thought. <laughs> yeah. But that's a braze. Instant pots are brazers. Okay. When we get back, I want to talk to you about how your profession has affected or grew up, like had more bonds with you and your children. Like, what is that? Like, how has that affected your family? Okay. Because I could see killing animals. Like, that could be a little, little intense for kids at times. So, you would think. That. Yeah. You right. think. We'll be right back.
this is your turn. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We have our special guest today, Mr. Brandon Sheard, all the way from Washington State. You live on an island. I mm-hmm. think that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. No bridges, just ferries. Puget Sound? In the Puget Sound, yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't have many sounds here in Oklahoma. We don't have one either, actually. It's technically not a sound. What is a it's sound? It's a total misnomer. What's I don't a know sound? why they call it that. We have a very know. large bay with lots of islands in it. What is a sound? I don't even know. Um, what is a sound? Um, I don't know either. I just know the Puget Sound is not a sound. Okay. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a big lie. It's a big lie. You live on a big lie. It sounds nice. <laughs> yeah. But it does sound nice. A, yeah. I see what you did there. It's an yeah. inlet. It's a bay. Yeah. Okay. But it is an island. Sounds It is. Nice. I am on an island. Indeed. It's not. That part's not a lie. Right. Vashon. Okay. So, Adam, you had a good question. Thank you. I also want to hear the answer to it. Yeah, so how does how does your role, your profession, play and affect your family, especially your kids? Is there bonding moments that are like, what was it like to be like, okay, Johnny, here you go. Um, mm-hmm. Come with yeah. me as I go kill this pig. You Because like, I think a lot of people would say, you shouldn't have, like, don't expose your kids to that. You know, like that's something, I, like you're well, ruining them or something. Mm-hmm. Are you ruining your children? <laughs> uh, only by God's help. I don't think so. They're yeah. they're pretty awesome. Yeah. I have I have three sons and four daughters, and I started with the three sons, and so Wallace, Johnny, we do have a Johnny, and oh, Simon. Wow. When you say that that you started with them, are they also your oldest? Or? That's what I mean. Okay. Yes, the first three. I didn't boys. know if, if they were just like, oh, I brought them into the business right. first, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're and my oldest is eleven. Okay. And uh, I found out pretty early. Maybe it's because I have uh, very bold children, very bold sons. Uh, I like that. Courageous, good boys, yes. That uh, being turned off or afraid of slaughter has to be learned. So that's something you teach your kids. Mm. If they just witness it, totally normal to them. Right. Um, in fact, I'm usually the really? one like, let's dial it down, boys, just a little bit. So, yeah, they... Uh, like, you know, I was I was shooting pigs uh, with Wallace, you know, on my back and an ergo baby. Probably shouldn't say that in public, but whatever. That's what was happening. Mm-hmm. So he saw the whole thing. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that's would, hypothetically. That's hypothetically. What you were, yeah. That yeah. could have happened. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, just for instance. Yeah. And he, you know, being a uh, he was probably in this hypothetical situation, one yeah. and a half. And he's also a really early talker and gets all all the situations around him. And he was always like, go, go shoot like, go calm down i gotta wait Take yeah, that's shot. right right yeah you remember the intensity right. of like because you don't want to shoot a pig unless it's perfect yeah I, so you settle to wait so many people what you said that the only thing harder than shooting a pig once is shooting it only twice that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right so there's no such thing as waiting too long to get uh-huh. that perfect shot right because anything other than a perfect kill is absolutely horrible so disaster it's a bloodbath yeah, yeah it's really bad so yeah, they they are completely um, hip to that. They they they've never been weirded out by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe you know one of my daughters might have sort of uh, appeared to be sad once when we harvested our pig, but for them because they haven't been a cultured to learn to be turned off by animal death, uh, they do not regard it as a contradiction to have affection for their animals. And then to kill them and eat them. That's not 
a problem in their brains. And it's, it's, it might sound weird, but that's actually the reality of the situation. Right. Your animals, if you've ever seen this thing called uh, natural death of a livestock, of an animal, it is the most horrific torture you can put an animal through. It's really bad. Do you just mean like if they die of old age? Die of old age. Okay. Yeah. And they used to actually have a, a person in society that was in charge of taking care of that issue. He was called the knacker. So when people say, I'm knackered, it means you are a dead horse. You died of old age. You're tired. You're done. And you call the knackerman. And he would come and he would take these animals that weren't fit for food, you know, like your ox or your horse, but it, that had it died at like 15 years old and turn them into glue and other products. There was the butcher and the knacker. <clears throat> um, okay. Why was I saying that? But because... it's bad if they die of old age. It's so it? horrible. They start decomposing while they're still alive. Oh, that sounds Because I've been called on to be a knacker a couple times to come out and, and put, you know, a 13-year-old you out of her misery. And it's, it's really horrible. We've lived with these animals for so long that a decisive, uh, timely kill is actually essential to their well-being. So sheep... Particular wool sheep will grow so much wool that they will die. So you what? you must shear them. You must milk your cow. They like hair to death. Yes, it, it, it's they don't shed. Said they don't shed. Shooting them is the best for their well being. It is. Like. It's because we have we have crafted them and we have ordered them as these domestic partners. Right. And uh, such that if we just let them live, it is a grave torture. <laughs> like, it's really bad. You okay. have to milk your cow because so she produces more milk than her calf can Let me just, drink. let me ask you this question, because I believe your state just passed something with uh, assisted suicide. It was, maybe it was Oregon. Uh, Washington and Oregon. I get just, them confused too. Yeah. They're just yeah. like, whatever. You guys mm-hmm. are doing, you're chilling with each other and doing crazy you're, you're buds. Yeah. Okay. So what about the argument that someone would make? Applying that logic to a human being, mm-hmm. what, that, would you, what would you say to them? <clears throat> That's where we get the immortality of the soul. Okay. All. Yeah. I think that, you know, I don't know how I specifically answer that person. Depends on where they're coming from. But it would not be difficult to prove that livestock lack an intellect and will. Mm-hmm. They lack that, which we regard as signs of the soul. Mm-hmm. the image of God and uh, such that we do actually make this very brazen, we act in this very brazen way as compared to other earthly beings that we dare to take the life of an animal and say it is good and just that your life should be taken to support mine. Mm-hmm. That that objective matter should be turned into subjective matter in me. And uh, that is a really interesting hierarchy mm-hmm. uh, in the order of being that we all, except for vegans, but I would say even uh, even they do it and they don't know it, uh, but that we all consent to. And uh, that hierarchy ends with with God. He's at the top. And so it's... Uh, yeah, because so Aquinas talks about you know, the soul animates the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's so anything that's alive has a soul. That's right. Which is something that was is very interesting when I when I was reading this I was like wow that is not I, I never thought about a plant soul yeah. you know yeah. Like, yeah. or something like that was a new concept for me when I was reading this right so yeah. everything yeah. everything has a soul but the yeah. thing the question that, is do viruses have a soul that's one thing I've wondered because they're not really alive we don't even classify them as living yeah, yeah. yeah they're not alive but but well, they're animated do they, do they do they reproduce they do do they grow 
Well, and do they, they define grow. like they don't grow? What, I are mean, the, what are the three powers so of all living they're, things? They're single. They they're nutrition. They can they have three powers. They can re- intake nutrition. They can reproduce and they can grow. Those are the three. It's growing is a little bit because life. they're single. They're not cells. They don't. They're not single celled right. organisms. Mm-hmm. But let's just use that as an analogy. A single celled organism doesn't grow. It multiplies. just multiplies. So yeah. reproduction and growth are the same. Yeah. Yeah, you know. So I think so it has both powers. It's cells if, don't if viruses divide. Do that. Typically, we think about growth as cellular division. Yeah, you know th- that type of thriving. Anyway, that's yeah. it's a little bit off topic. Welcome I, to the Catholic Biology Show. I wanted to ask you a follow up question. Yeah, you know, you're talking about your kids and just being very acquainted with death, mm-hmm. and it seems to me like that would actually increase their awareness of the dignity of the person, not decrease it. Mm-hmm. Um. What do you think about that? I think that's true. I hope it's true. Yeah, I think that what they see is, um, I think it does two things. It does increase their their knowledge of the dignity of the person, just like that hierarchy. People are it's not implicit animals. in it, right. right? We're totally not. We're totally different. But it also makes them duly acquainted with the cost of their existence, the cost of their being, hmm. which is easy to forget. You know, when you can, when everything's paved and mowed. And uh, you can kind of float around like a disembodied mind in an urban setting and right. think that maybe you don't cost the world anything you recycle. to exist. Because you recycle. Because you recycle, that, yeah. yeah. And that is kind of a pernicious fantasy that, uh, that can be kind of dangerous. But when you harvest a pig, you think, I can't believe I just went through all of that so I could eat bacon. It's a lot of work. You realize yeah, it is a lot of work. Yeah, and to say nothing of the raising of the well, pig. bacon just comes from the store. You just go buy it. Right, and, right. That's how you get it. Just it Just pops out. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing is that you're worth the cost. You know, like that's you, the implicit value system. You yeah. need to know that this is what you cost, mm-hmm. and that every single person on the planet costs there is this cost and that is you're worth it Mm -hmm. and so much more you're you mean your value is is infinite yeah and i think that's important to understand uh and this is why the alquin institute brings you in i think because there's a fundamental full circle there's a (laughs) fundamental like i see this is what i do i sidebar but i also i also bring it back there you go uh there's a fundamental something fundamental that happens with just being in touch with reality Mm -hmm. that's one of the missions of the Alquin Institute hmm. is to experience reality in all its glory, mm-hmm. and this is like, this is this is real. This is something very real. The store is fake, you know. Yeah. Even though you're buying real bacon, yeah, it's a uh, it's something artificial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it hides the process. Yeah, it obfuscates things. You Brent. separate the meat from the animal, kind of. Yeah, from the yeah. sentient being. Right. Exactly. Brennan, if uh, people want to know more, you have a podcast. It is called... A Meatsmith Harvest. Farmsteadmeatsmith.com is our website. And we even have an online membership where we teach people how to harvest stuff. And how to cook stuff and to do all of it in your backyard. Sweet. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. <laughs>